0: We have Artem Milenchuk with Farm Together on the call here today. And you can tell we're going to be talking about farmland and how Artem has gotten into this and some other things regarding this platform. So head over to farmtogether.com. They have a webinar coming up for 1031 exchanges. If you've missed that, there should be a recording there for that. But they also have two live deals on the platform right now that you might want to check out. So, We're going to cover quite a bit of ground here today, not only talking about how Artem got into farmland as an investment vehicle, but everything in between regarding some of the strategies and tactics that they use to find this farmland. So, Artem, I appreciate your time here today.
1: Great great to be on. Thank you.
0: So, I got to start things off. It's always interesting. Everybody's story about getting into real estate investing is pretty similar. We're always trying to find that generational wealth. We Or we read a book that kind of inspired us, and I'm not even going to bring up a particular book. I'm sure you know which one. But I would love to understand how you got into farmland as this niche for investing.
1: Absolutely. There's a couple of things that led me to it. One is more of a personal upbringing. I was born Soviet Union, raised in kind of the early cares of Russia. And one thing that was always hard to find was just food. People didn't have a lot and supply chains were all messed up. So our family had a little patch of land and we would work it every summer. So in the winter we'd have potatoes, some other things. So it gave me a really healthy appreciation for investing in something that is non-optional in the end consumers, in this case, food and water. And from a professional perspective, early on in my career, I was working in investment banking and in finance, and I happened to be put on food and ag files, and I really enjoyed it. So I kept focusing on those industries. And by the time I started Farm Together, I had about 10 plus years of experience in that space.
0: So Farm Together is a platform and you find land. Is it more of a syndication scenario?
1: It is in the sense that, yes, we find individual pieces of land. And then we will syndicate those deals on the platform where they, with the investors.
0: So this is different from some of the land investors I've had on the show where they're just constantly buying and flipping the land. Are you holding the land and then renting it to the farmers or how does that work?
1: We are. So farmland investing, and in my view, investing in general should be a long-term endeavor in a long-term horizon. Our deals are typically 10 years long, which I think is the minimum for farmland, in fact. I'd like to make that even longer in the future. We, and so indeed we hold the land for 10 years and then either rent it out to a farmer, so you as an investor, you receive rental income, or we do what's called a direct operating model where the farmer or farming family is paid a fee to operate the land, but the entity that we manage carries the full on business risk financially of profit and losses. Typically, those latter models lead to higher overall uh, returns over the hold period, but of course, carry with them higher risks and higher volatility.
0: Do you prefer that second model then? Is that dirty? I don't have
1: a preference. It's really dependent on the type of the investor. Different investors are looking for like, almost a bond-like type product. So they'll invest into corn and soybean fields that are purely rental. Some investors are looking for more direct exposure to the market for almonds for example so they will want direct operated. We as an investment platform we see our mission to bring a diverse set of investment options to investors and to bring flexible creative capital to farmers as well.
0: Have you had any experience with traditional r- real estate investing whether it's multifamily or single family I homes have, anything there? I have So can you give us a breakdown, like what contrast with what people would probably be used to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think farmland, we often see it as a subsection of real estate. And indeed, it has a number of things that make it comparable to real estate. It's a real asset. It is oftentimes a rental model. It's something that does have land underlying it. Location matters. If real estate is location in farmland, it's four locations. It's even more important. So there is a lot of similarities there. If I were to compare the spectrum of farmland investing on the very safe side, you have what we call raw crops. So this is farmland that you plant every year, and this would be your corn and soybean fields, and they're typically a rental income that is paid upfront by the farmer before the harvest. So you have very little payment risk, very little tenant risk as well, because typically land is extremely easy to rent out. About 40% of farmland in the United States is rented. I would compare that to your multifamily housing on the safe spectrum, you know, low risk, low return, but also low volatility. As we start going up the the risk reward uh, curve, we get into something that might be a revenue sharing agreement, but also rental agreements. So now we're looking to maybe like a core plus type opportunities in real estate. This is where you'd have to help me a little bit, but something a bit more risky. All the way to direct operate, let's say almond and apple orchards, which would be maybe comparable to trying to think like a storage or industrial parks, rentals, or almost like a greenfield development where you're expecting higher returns, but also much higher execution risk.
0: It sounds like there's a varying degree of risk reward here. Can you give us a breakdown of... On average, what you're seeing regarding you're just renting the land to being really a partner with these with the farmer,
1: yeah, absolutely. Right now, if we're looking at a pure rental model where you buy land, you don't put on any debt because, unlike in real estate, where oftentimes debt plays a significant part of the total return profile, in farmland, right now, debt is not accretive given where interest rates are, it used to. So the returns there would be about six, seven net IR after all fees, which is composed of price appreciation and cash yields. And then as you go up the more direct operated model, you're looking at nine, 10, 11% return and also higher potential for even higher returns. If we see inflation continuing to be this high and we see the sticky long-term inflation, I think we'll see even higher returns there. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but one of the big reasons that people have invested in farmland and are investing in farmland right now is to express a view on inflation and play defensively against inflation. Unlike real estate, farmland doesn't really depreciate. Even if you go into IRS, they'll say land is not depreciable. And in fact, will appreciate if you take care of the soil well. It's a little bit of a different story if we're talking about orchards, trees, but even those are very long-term where you can have trees that yield 50 years plus.
0: When you say taking care of the land, are there some specializations, especially on your team, to make sure you're doing the necessary crop rotation and a few other things to protect your investment like that?
1: There are. So we have a full asset management team who all come from decades of experience, either farmers themselves or have managed farmland on behalf of larger institutional investors, some of the biggest names in the space. There's a lot of experience, and we also have a fairly selective process for choosing our farming partners that will take care of the land uh, continuously.
0: How do you find the land that you eventually acquire?
1: So it's a mix of good old-fashioned boots on the ground and just being a hustler, but it's also a mix of using technology, which internally we call Terra, to find, analyze, underwrite, transact, and manage land. And that is actually part of our secret sauce. Farmland is a little bit like single family housing in that it is a very fragmented market. Most land is less than $5-10 in value. That means that for a lot of investors, it's not economical to deploy sufficient amount of capital into the space. If you want to deploy, let's say, half a billion, it's hard to do for us. We continuously analyze hundreds of deals that come away, both through public listings as well as proprietary networks that we have and relationships we've built to select only the best deals. And that is a lot of work. It's one of the reasons why you haven't seen the same proliferation of farmland investing as you have seen in real estate, because there's right now very few data tools to analyze markets quickly, easily at scale for a lot of
0: people. Do you Find that, how is it to, for the disposition then? Like, how are you finding the farmers to partner with? So it's
1: part of the overall process where when we look at the particular geography, we'll be looking for a vibrant farmer market. And I know it sounds, a lot of people don't really know farming and I don't blame them, right? It's not something that happens in the public eye. single family housing where everyone has some exposure. But a couple of things to know, uh, one, 40% of farmland is rented out in the United States. 98% of farms owned by families. So, this practice of renting land goes back decades and decades. It's not nothing new. You'll have some farmers owning land, renting out land, and then renting land, meaning they have all three revenue streams. So, when we look at target markets, we'll be really filtering for that. And then we only invest in markets that already have a vibrant ecosystem. So for example, if you're investing in almonds in California, guess what? California produces 80% of the world's almonds. You'll be buying a farm. There'll be literally 100 farmers around you. So it's not hard at all to find the right partners. Secondly, when we look at deals, oftentimes we'll have farmers come to us and say, hey, I have a strategy of growing my business. I have land identified. What I need is financing capital. So we'll follow them, where they already know everything that's going on and help us also get the best deals.
0: That's some pretty staggering numbers. 40% are rented. And you, did you say 98% is family owned?
1: That's right. So people think that all the land is owned by the Monsantos and Kyrgios and right. of the world, but that is very inaccurate. To repeat one stat, it's 70% of land in the U.S. by value and acreage. Is in farms less than $10 million in value. And yes, 98% is owned by families.
0: Sure. That does go against what you perceive because I think one of the more popular things in the news, there was a news cycle not too long ago talking about Bill Gates being the biggest land owner.
1: Yeah, that's so it's been a well known secret in the industry. But no one talked about it. And then it came out, I think a year or two years ago, and it's been honestly really good for all of us in the farmland investing space because now everyone knows this, but even Bill Gates said, I think a recent Reddit AMA, he he said, look, that's true, but he owns something like 230,000 plus acres, which when you think about the size of the market in the US right now, it's about 900 million acres. That is 0. 0.00 something percentage of land. So it is a rounding error in the amount of land that U.S. has, and even Bill Gates being the largest, is a drop in the bucket. That is how ginormous the U.S. farmland market is It really to give you a sense of the total market, in U.S., it's three trillion. The total global market, we estimate it about 10 trillion. So U.S. has a third of the total farmland market in the world.
0: Are there particular parts of the country that you focus on?
1: We focus West Coast. We're very strong in California, Washington, and Oregon. We also focus on parts of the Midwest, and we have investments right now in Georgia, looking at Texas and Florida.
0: Then each of those areas, you already mentioned almonds being a big crop in California. Do each of these areas that you're moving into have different niches or possibilities?
1: Yes, sir. They absolutely do. you Talking about farming, so climates really matter, as well as connection to either water sources, connection to rivers, which are cheap mode of transportation, or trains, railways, or of course, the West Coast ports. That's one of the big advantages of U.S. agriculture, access to amazing infrastructure to get their products out into the world. So in Washington, we'll focus on apples. They're fantastic growers and fantastic growing condition. In Oregon, we focus on hazelnuts. Oregon is produces almost all hazelnuts in the United States and is starting to challenge Turkey, which produces about 60% of hazelnuts for a much better and larger nut crop. So they're becoming a big supplier to Nestle for Nutella. And then California is a powerhouse. It produces more than half of the country's fruits and vegetables, 70-80% of nuts. It's a staggering... I think 40 billion plus industry, so extremely vibrant and the climates, they're absolutely unique as well as the farmers, the growing conditions. So I know we hear a lot about California's droughts. Now it's flooding. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just the way the weather goes, but the California is an amazing market that is such a breadbasket. It's a unique economic and weather climate.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because in California, you have the cities that consume any kind of news cycle and then they have, most people don't even realize how much agriculture comes out of California.
1: It is a staggering amount and we always get into water issues as well when we talk about cities versus ag. One one way to think about farmland investing is it's also investing in water. You can think of it as a way to transport water in a crop form across the world, because of course, just transporting water is is expensive, but Mm -hmm. putting into crop that might be thirsty, but high value is a way to do it. And the US and Canada, which is one of our near-term expansion markets, have phenomenal water supplies, it's just a question of managing them sustainably.
0: Just to remind everybody, head over to farmtogether.com to learn a little bit more what Artem and his team are up to. And uh, while you are on the web, head over and give this video a thumbs up on YouTube as we're going to be releasing it there as well. But Artem, I'd be interested in, now that you've been doing this for a number of years, what has been some of the biggest challenges you've faced getting this business off the ground?
1: One of the biggest ones has been education. As you mentioned, most people don't naturally think to farmland as they don't even think about how food is produced, although that has been changing. And they definitely don't think about investing in farmland. It's a function of, I think, just alternative investing in general becoming mainstream. That is only a very recent trend in the last 10, 20 years. So it's Mm -hmm. been funny in the height of the various bubbles we had in 2021. Talk about farming when people, and people would go, wow, that is so exotic. And yet they're investing in NFTs. They're investing in shoes and watches and Pokemon cards. This is mm-hmm. the oldest asset class. It's literally the most anti-exotic thing I can think of. It's been around forever and it's the boring stable part of your investment diet, right? Barmoled is the salad, whereas stuff you're describing is like the gummy bears you could put mm-hmm. I don't know. So that's been a big challenge, but it's been a rewarding challenge. Because I think a lot of people at the same time intuitively understand that, Hey, this is something that no matter what will not go away. Like right now, everyone is worried about AI, what does it mean for everything, but we know for sure that it's not like tomorrow you and I are going to eat and drink some water, and I think that's been always a rewarding part of telling the story.
0: Sure. You've built this portfolio up now. How large of a, how much land are you managing at this point?
1: Right now we have about $170 million under management and 44 farms across eight states.
0: Could you tell us about an opportunity that you found from beginning to end, and what and how it's going?
1: Absolutely. So, one of the deals that we really like, and it's the largest crowdfunding deal in the U.S. I believe, about twenty-two million. It's a, an apple orchard development in Wenatchee, Washington, with a fantastic partner, Milk, So you might see the boxes and apples across the country. It's a third-generation business that's been growing phenomenally well and they have developed a new genetic strain for apple called cosmic crisp it's a perfect mix of crispness and sweetness and juiciness and it looks when you look at it has this little dots that looks like a galaxy so we call it the galaxy orchard and it's also going to be one of the first organic apples coming into production so we financed this with uh, on our crowdfunding platform with the madison family and it's been really great to see it go from dirt to the trees being put up, the trellis, the structure to help the trees grow. And now seeing it's been what we did this in end of 2020. So it's been two years now. You can look at the trees already higher than me and it's just really wonderful to see from nothing, a a massive orchard spring up and in a year or two, you'll see those apples organic cosmic crisp apples in stores across the country.
0: Yeah, that's, that is a unique aspect that you're going to get to see things grow and develop in a way that a traditional real estate to, it is just not there.
1: And you can go and buy the product of your investment in the store.
0: With traditional real estate investing, we're always talking about toilets and tenants and issues like that. Are there issues that you've run into that are common with land investing or oh, absolutely. were you able to plan for everything? Absolutely, and unfortunately, I wish
1: you could plan for everything, but you have weather happening that we still cannot fully predict, especially long-term. So weather is one massive point, and it's about properly capitalizing your farm to account for unusual events. It's also being able to have the right operators and tenants. And I would lie if I said we never run into issues with tenants. We have, and sometimes it's been a challenge. Definitely early on in our life, we ran into an issue with a tenant that we had to change an operator it was a very well respected family that's been in the business for a long time, but they screwed up our farm. And so we fortunately caught it, unfortunately, not early enough. So there's been lessons learned there, I would say, with this direct operated models. As you can imagine, having a great partner is vital. So you pay us not only for choosing the right land, but also the right partner. Some craziest stories again, this is. From the land, there was a tenant that was a hoarder, so we had to, when they left, there was like this massive amount of stuff that we had to take care of. So we tried to take a lesson from there. And there's been other stories that are really cool. There's a local firefighter that it was, they not, don't get paid much. So we had a property on land that wasn't really used for anything. So we're able to rent it out to him for a very low price to give back to the local community and help local farmers. So much stuff. You have one property has a quiet river, so the guys who work there go fishing. Yeah, no, there's stories about We would have to do just another podcast for just the stories from the land.
0: When it comes to placing a tenant in an apartment or a house, we kind of stick to our underwriting criteria. This is the type of tenant, and this is the FICO score and their payment history, and we're looking at a few of those things. Do you have similar requirements when you're vetting out these oh, yeah. farmers Absolutely. or farmers?
1: It's not as structured as FICO. There's nothing like that in farming yet, but it is the same principle of looking back at the history, looking back at the agricultural capabilities and the financial capabilities, asking around. Typically the neighbors will know more than you ever will. So it's it's both kind of formal and informal checks. This is why a lot of our farmers they have they, they they wrote the book on farming they can teach us so it's really our job is more a investor type oversight and reporting versus management because they will uh, yeah they will know so much more than we do
0: when you say that now it makes a lot of sense 90% of the farmland is family owned those 90%. neighbors and everything yeah. the history associated with those people everybody seems to know each other those farm farmers I have farmers in my in my family, and they know, you, you don't even go down a road. They don't even call it Highway 200. They'll say, go down the Johnson Road, <laughs> this and that. Everything is defined by the families in the area.
1: Very true. It's a fascinating glimpse into all those local stories and history that goes back sometimes a hundred years where you look at a title and it'll be... The whole story of the land and the family is written in that title. It's yeah, fascinating. Again, we could do a separate podcast just on what we planned in titles.
0: So if somebody was interested in farm investing, where would you suggest that they begin?
1: Of course, farmtogether.com. And that's because we don't really view our marketing strategy, call it as a marketing or sales strategy. I come from the investment world. I hate being sold to. So our focus has always been on providing education materials in different forms, easily consumable by either, if you're an expert, you can dive deep into a particular water district. If you know nothing about pharma, you just want to understand the key points. You can also find those materials on the website. So we have webinars, we have white papers, we have Q and A sessions that we do with our team, and you can call up our client team and ask very specific or very general questions. You can take a look at previous deals. So focus very much has been on educating people about farmland and saying, look, this is what it does. This is the historical returns. Here are the risks. This is what it has done in other portfolios. And then just let the investor make a decision of whether or not they want to add some farmland to the overall investment portfolio.
0: Okay. Artem, I really appreciate you giving me some time here today. I don't. I should have warned you at the beginning. I do have a list of rapid fire questions I typically okay. ask. Did they give you that information before...
1: They did, yeah.
0: Okay, good. Because I forgot to mention that before we hit record. But are you ready to tackle a few of those here? Just to remind everybody, it's farmtogether.com, and then we're going to jump into these. But first of all, here is a chance to bust a real estate investing myth. Is there any that you'd like to bust here today?
1: Yeah, I would say that I think there's this notion that Real estate prices always go up. And we had that busted in 2008 with single family housing. I see that resurface again. I have some of my friends who are like, oh, we should invest in houses. They always go up. Now, that is how we got into this trouble in the first place. And the same we see with commercial you know, office space. You used to think that office tower in New York is as safe as it gets. Now, no one wants to work from the office. So we have this a huge part of the market, just the floor fell out of it. So commercial real estate might be up for wood awakening so i would say yeah diversification matters and things that we think don't change they do so it's important to have a diversified portfolio no one knows the future
0: what book would you recommend everybody checking out or what are you reading right now it's probably
1: not going to be very original but i'm a huge fan of ray dalio and his book principles i think it's just such a sober and solid way of thinking about investing life principles of building a business that's always something i go back to yeah
0: sure what is your biggest real estate investing or business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it
1: it's probably that recent real estate investment we've done where we a few years ago we should have done more provided more oversight on a partner they came really well recommended had decades of history in the business but i think in the early years no matter what you still need to constantly check up on people until they earn your trust so it's the trust but verify mantra
0: sure if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice what would that be
1: oh man it's probably uh, don't take everything so seriously
0: okay yeah it is it's that's actually the opposite of what i've heard a lot of people say more times than not they talk about their younger self and they're not they say they they didn't take it seriously enough so that's interesting okay you have 60 seconds and this is the only one I'm going to time you on you're going to give everybody one piece of their, of advice that they can implement today to have a direct impact on their business what would it be
1: all right so i would say number one to me now that i've been in the business 5 6 years it's all about people so being very deliberate who you want to hire being very deliberate and thoughtful with retaining talent. Great people are hard to find, even harder to hold on to. And trusting your intuition when someone isn't working out. If there's a bell ringing or question mark about someone. That actually probably means that already there's so many issues going on. Because people that are fantastic, they, they want to be here. They put in constant effort all the time and you can see that they want to be here. It's a little bit like being married, being dated. Like you can't force people into it or coach them on that. They want to be there and work on your business. And one of those people is worth 10 that are just average. So investing in great talent always pays off. The latest great example of that is OpenAI, a tiny team that created this massive chat engine, AI engine that now is challenging the giants of the world. And it's been a small team of dedicated people. I think, if I'm still on time, but don't doubt that a small group of dedicated people can change the world. In fact, it's the only people that have ever changed the world.
0: Artem, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today?
1: I think we've we done really well. We talked about the risks, the rewards of farmland, the key return profile, risk profiles, how it compares to real estate, which I like as a peer group. So I think we've done, we've covered a lot.
0: Head over to farmtogether.com, follow up with Artem and his team. And uh, But I really appreciate your time, Artem. This was great. Thank you. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.